Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Judy's Ruby Slippers return home after 13 years. Cruise ships hope to make a splash in Duluth, and broadcaster and former Minnesota Viking Ben Lieber talks purple. But first, a recent University of Minnesota study shows working caregivers continue to face multiple challenges, particularly in rural Minnesota. I chatted with Dr. Carrie Henning-Smith about the study and what needs to be done as the state's population ages, and many of us are trying to figure out how to balance the responsibility of caring for a loved one with the responsibilities we already have in our everyday lives. So with this study, we used data that was collected uh, in 2015 by AARP and the National Alliance for Family Caregiving, and it was a survey done of informal caregivers, so unpaid caregivers across the country, and we used these data to look at rural-urban differences um, in supportive services for caregivers, and in this study, we specifically looked at workplace supports for employed caregivers and rural-urban differences in those supports. With regard to the difficulties, what did the study show were some of the hurdles for folks in those rural areas? Sure. So we found uh, several significant differences between rural and urban employed caregivers and the workplace supports that were available to them. Specifically, we found that rural caregivers who were in were much less likely to be able to telecommute or work from home. They were much less likely to have supportive programs available to them in their workplace. These are things like an employee assistance program, um, information or referrals through their workplace to help them with their caregiving. And they were much less likely to have paid leave available to them, which would help them in their caregiving duties. Once you have information from a study like this and you determine that there are difficulties in these areas, what do you do with this information? Well, I think we share it as broadly as we can. Um, And I think there are a number of things that can or should be done to support caregivers in rural areas. I think when you look at something like this and you see differences in workplace supports available to employed caregivers, it's really easy to put the responsibility on workplaces. And I think that that's an important starting place. I think workplaces need to recognize the importance of the work that people do in their workplace and outside of the workplace and find ways to support people um, in their whole life as much as possible. But there are also all sorts of constraints on employers and workplaces themselves, and I think we need broader policies and supports to help workplaces support caregivers. So one example of that is in our finding that fewer than 10% of all caregivers who are employed in rural areas are able to telecommute or work from home. That might be that workplaces don't... um, allow that. It might be also that it's not feasible or realistic. Rural areas are less likely to have access to broadband technology. Um, And so perhaps state and federal money to improve broadband infrastructure could go a long way toward offering some more flexibility for people who are employed and living in rural areas. 
With regard to something like caregiving, which is something that has, uh, I think, a, a, a big emotional attachment in terms of if we're taking care of loved ones, mm-hmm. are there resources available to those folks who feel like maybe the the resources that they have are insufficient, or is there somewhere that they can turn for help? There is somewhere they can turn. There are actually multiple places they can turn for help. Um, there are area agencies on aging that are funded through the Older Americans Act, and those operate all across the country, and those offer um, help and support to individuals. Healthcare professionals are well-versed in caregiving and I think are doing a better and better job of integrating caregivers into care plans and making sure that they have the support that they need. Um, But when we're talking about employed caregivers, I think this is a subset of caregivers who are particularly under pressure and um, squeezed in the responsibilities that they have. These are people who are working for pay and providing care for a loved one on top of that. They may also have young children at home who they're providing care to. I think when you're looking at employed caregivers, you're really capturing people who may fall into that sandwich generation where they're caring for an older parent, they have children at home, and they're trying to balance a job. That's a lot. That um, And so asking people to also seek outside support, supportive services um, to, say, go to a support group or an extra class, uh, that's asking a lot of people. And so I think we need to find as many ways as we can to integrate those supportive services and make them easy for people to access. It's one of the reasons that we wanted to look at workplace supports, because people who are balancing so many things in their lives and who are working in a workplace, if they can get some of those supportive services through the workplace, whether that's employee assistance to help with some of the stress and the burden, whether it's information and referrals that can help them, um, or just more flexible work hours or paid leave to give them the time that they need to attend to their own health, Uh, All of those are really important remedies. Well, hopefully, certainly this study will go a a long way towards uh, sort of adding to this public discourse that you mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, We we hope so. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Carrie, is there anything else you wanted to add? I'm just glad that people are paying more and more attention to this. I really do think it's not a problem that's going to go away. It's a problem that's only going to get bigger as we age as a society and as we have more people who need long-term care and receive care from loved ones. And so it's something that we can't afford not to pay attention to. And I think we need to pay attention before we reach a crisis point. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Carrie Henning-Smith. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should 
try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Do you suppose there is such a place, Toto? There must be. It's not a place you can get to by a boat or a train. It's far, far away. Behind the moon. Beyond the rain. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For 13 years, the famous ruby slippers worn by Judy Garland in the movie The Wizard of Oz were lost. But as reporter J.W. Cox tells us, the slippers with the magical heels have been found. When Dorothy ended up where she wasn't supposed to be, it led to a grand adventure. Tin Man, Lion, Scarecrow, Yellow Brick Road. But when her shoes turned up missing from where they were supposed to be, it led to an investigation with Judy Garland's Minnesota hometown at the epicenter of the search. We're here today to share with you the recovery of one of the most significant and cherished pieces of movie memorabilia in American history. Dorothy's ruby slippers from the 1939 movie The Wizard of Oz. Those slippers were later stolen in 2005 in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Special agent in charge Jill Sanborn made the big reveal of the recovered slippers this week at a press conference at FBI headquarters. Also present, the chief of the Grand Rapids Police Department, Scott Johnson. Thirteen years ago, the ruby red slippers were stolen in the middle of the night from a museum in the south end of Grand Rapids. Our police department followed up on each and every lead that we received over the years. Everything from they are nailed to a wall in a roadside diner in Missouri to they're at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. Yeah, we know that. That's another pair. To I was with my boyfriend when he threw them into a water-filled iron ore pit. That narrows it down. We've got a lot of iron ore pits up in northern Minnesota. Part of the problem is that in addition uh, to multiple pairs used in the film, there are a great many reproductions out there. Several months ago, our police department received some information that appeared to have more credibility. This investigation took us outside the state of Minnesota. With the so-called traveling slippers back under the watchful eye of authorities, the FBI says the investigation is not done. Well, we've gathered lots of information on this case. We believe there's lots more to give. There's always intelligence that can be gleaned from the actual theft to the motive and helping us piece that puzzle together. Our hope today is that folks that are watching this, if you know something about the theft, something about where these slippers have been the last 13 years, that you come forward and you share that with us. Citing the ongoing nature of the investigation, details about the who and why and how were sparse, but North Dakota U.S. District Attorney Chris Myers says the slippers were recovered as part of an undercover sting in Minneapolis. We have a lot of work to do. This is an ongoing investigation, so we won't talk about the facts of our investigation. And we will follow those facts where they lead and draw up charges as appropriate and if appropriate at a later time. The connection to North Dakota that brings Myers into the case was not made known by investigators this week. Sanborn, though, did elaborate slightly on what broke the case. Last summer, working very collaborative with our local partners in Grand Rapids, we received a new tip and some information that we diligently pursued. 
lots of interviews, several searches, only to later lead this summer to the recovery of these slippers. This is a significant milestone. We wanted to share that today. Agent Sanborn also broke down where these Minnesota-connected slippers fit into the canon of Wizard of Oz paraphernalia. There were multiple pairs of slippers used in the filming of this movie. However, only four today are known to exist. One, arguably probably one of the most cherished um, exhibits in the Smithsonian. A second pair was purchased by some Hollywood actors and later donated to the Academy of Arts and Sciences. A third pair is in the possession of a private party, not on public display. And then the fourth pair is the pair that we're here today to discuss. That pair was owned by a collector who donated it to the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids. And they were stolen from that museum overnight, August 27th, 28th of 2005, never to be seen publicly until today. Turns out they were inspected after recovery and compared to the slippers from the Smithsonian. That's when experts determined the two sets of Dorothy's magical footwear actually were mismatched twins that had been shuffled around on a no-doubt hectic set. I mean, can you imagine what a bunch of flying monkeys would do to your shoe tree? For Chief Johnson, while the recovery was not a life-and-death situation, he was quick to point out these shoes have an impact beyond being a collector's item. As the police chief of Grand Rapids, I'm very impressed as to the dedication of our officers of the Grand Rapids Police Department. They remained committed to eventually finding these slippers. You know, they're more than just a pair of shoes, the slippers. They're an enduring symbol of the power of belief. And I know I speak for everyone in our Grand Rapids community when I say that we are very, very pleased that the public, again, has a potential opportunity to view this piece of Hollywood's most treasured piece of our nation's film history. The importance of the slippers was not lost on Special Agent Sanborn either. In reading some of the lead-up to this in the newspapers today, uh, one of the lines really struck me and has stuck with me throughout the day. And that was, not only were these slippers stolen, but the memories of a lot of Americans were stolen back in 2005. And we hope today that we give those memories back. The other detail left out of the investigation, where the shoes are going from here. Maybe Grand Rapids, Minnesota, maybe Kansas, probably not Oz, but reading between the lines from Myers, there will be chances somewhere, somehow, to see these famous slippers again. In reading some of the lead-up to this in the newspapers today, uh, one of the lines really struck me and has stuck with me throughout the day. And that was, not only were these slippers stolen, but the memories of a lot of Americans were stolen back in 2005. And we hope today that we give those memories back. Wherever the now well-traveled ruby red slippers call home when the investigation is complete, you can bet there will be no place like it. Scott, click, 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 and back to you. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Visit Duluth is hoping to attract more cruise ships to the Twin Ports over the next few years. MNN's Tasha Radel has some more details. The cruise line industry continues to grow and the Duluth area wants a piece of the action. 
Joining me now is Anna Tansky, president and CEO of Visit Duluth. So, Anna, when did this all kind of start to develop? Well, cruising on the Great Lakes is definitely growing in popularity, and it's been about five years since Visit Duluth, or since Duluth has had a visit from a cruise ship in our port. And so we really wanted to join in with our other destinations and ports around Lake Superior to have our lake be included in the other Great Lakes itineraries that, because there is just such a growing interest in that type of cruising. And do we currently have any that come through at this point? We do not. It has been five years since our last visit, and we really, um, there's a number of reasons for that, but now that things have sort of shifted within the cruising industry and there's been so much momentum building within the Great Lakes cruising community that this was identified as a priority by the Council of Great Lakes Governors and Premiers. And so we are a part of an organization that collaborates with other port cities and states around the Great Lakes to come together and really, really put our region on the map. And so I'm assuming would this uh, mean that we'd have to develop infrastructure there in Duluth? Well, that's really sort of how this came to be again. We've had this hiatus, and in that time frame, Security requirements have changed, um, you know, requirements for clearing customs and that type of thing. So the infrastructure required right now um, is really on about technology and what it takes to make sure that Duluth is able to clear those passengers that are international upon their arrival. That makes sense. And so is this kind of a done deal? Are you going to move forward with those improvements? Well, we were very fortunate to have the funding requirements um, that it takes, about an $85,000 investment just for the technology. And we have had the commitment now from the Duluth Economic Development Authority, as well as our city council and our port authority. They've all come together in partnership to make that investment. Without it, we could not have moved forward. And it is about a 90% done deal, I would say. We need to now work with Customs and Border Protection and our port uh, authority takes the lead on that process in identifying where we will actually physically be clearing the passengers. And that will be along our waterfront, but the final destination is not yet determined. And obviously, you know, um, getting these ships to come into the Duluth area, I'm assuming it would be really a, a great and huge for the economy itself. Have you guys looked into those numbers? You know, we have, and we're very conservative when we talk about economic impact because um, the, the Great Lakes passengers tend to be a more affluent and well-traveled passenger. So, um you know, we say $200 per passenger for the day that they are in port, knowing that it's probably um, very conservative, but at the same time, for a 200-passenger vessel, that's a $40,000 direct economic impact. And then when you take those dollars and actually use a formula to create, you know, the residual economic impact, it's about triple that. And so for us, we see that return on investment. Um, it really makes sense and the timing is right. And I'm assuming, you know, the different businesses, uh, restaurants, are, are they excited about this? Are they on board with you folks? Oh, there has been tremendous enthusiasm from within the hospitality and tourism industry really across our region because while Duluth stands to 
see a great benefit. This is something that really goes beyond just our city's borders because these travelers will have day excursions out into the broader part of our community and our region. So as far as the Iron Range or up the North Shore, there's an opportunity here for uh, many different communities to really benefit. And if I recall right, so what you're hoping for is 20 visits a season. Um, Is that correct? And when would this start? Well, we have, that's our ultimate goal. And that's something we would build up toward that, um, that number within, I would say, probably five to eight years. That's very realistic based on the interest that we've seen so far, just in the preliminary stages. Next year in 2019, we have two confirmed visits. Um, there's potential for possibly several more, just depending on um, how those cruise lines determine their itineraries. And it's multiple cruise lines that are expressing interest in Lake Superior and Duluth. So it is. it remains to be seen for 2020 and beyond, but we are seeing very strong interest. So we really do hope to ramp up to 20 or more visits within the next five to 10 years. Thanks again to my guest, Anna Tansky, President and CEO of Visit Duluth. For more information on the Duluth area, head to visitduluth.com. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. (sighs) And we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Go Vikings, let's win this game. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's been a lot of preseason hype for the Minnesota Vikings, as usual. Is it justified, though? MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with former Vikings linebacker and current football broadcaster Ben Lieber to find out. On paper, they look like, you know, as everybody's saying right now, world champions. Um, You've got, a, you've got a quarterback that's proven in this league, uh, definitely a top 10 quarterback. It becomes debatable about where after that, but a top 10 quarterback that you paid a lot of money, a lot of expectations. You've got a young running back that I think everybody in the four games that they saw him last year think that this kid is the real deal. Um, and you've got two talented wide receivers and a tight end that just is a red zone threat. And you pick up Tyler Conklin as well, who you hope is going to be another, another threat. So on paper, there doesn't look to be another offense that is maybe more complemented and well-rounded. Um, so really the sky's the limit. And then, you know, defensively, it doesn't take you a football genius to realize this is one of the best defenses um, in football. And, and the stats prove it. You know, number one in points allowed last year, and that's the most key metric that you can look for. And and they were number one in the league. So you get the number one defense and an offense that should be, you know, highly potent that uh, – 
this is obviously a playoff caliber team, um, but I think everybody else around here has, you know, NFC Championship and Super Bowl on their minds. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, obviously they make it to the uh, championship game of the conference last year. Uh, looking around the division, I think it's an interesting division. Obviously the Bears have added Khalil Mack now in the last uh, week. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is back and healthy for the Packers. And Detroit seems to always hang around. They kind of go on that every other year plan where they throw it together, yeah. then they fire their coach, and then they throw it together. Uh, and so they're kind of always the uh, wild card, no pun intended, because they've made the wild card as a as a player playoff team before but how do you how do you handicap this division well I think it's going to come down to the Packers and the Vikings um, anytime that you have you've got Aaron Rodgers and in that offense uh, no matter who they kind of change in and out uh, can Devonte Adams become the guy can they find a true running back um, you know that's that's going to be the key to their offense take a little bit of pressure off of Aaron and their defense is getting better so you know that and that's always kind of been the weak link for them is is how's the defense going to keep up with the offense so they're a, a legit contender in the in the north then after after that you're you can go back and forth between the Lions and the Bears who's going to be third and who's going to be last I mean obviously everyone in the preseason wants to pick hey who these are the two Super Bowl teams who would you have this year you know obviously I'm I'm biased I think the Vikings have one of the best teams um and and I think even from if I take myself out of this market um I would say the Vikings are in it you know they they will have everything that they they need it's not going to be pretty as it it never is but I think they do find their stride they have they have three division. They have to win November. Uh, they have three division games in November. Uh, they've got a bye week in between the the. I think it's the the Lions, and then they go and play uh, the Pack or the Bears. So there's a bye week in between. But they have to win November. If they do that, they'll have the momentum going in December to really do some stuff. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go right now and put against my my two former teams, uh, the Chargers and uh, the Vikings. U.S. Bank Stadium. Now we're entering year three, and um, I really like the stadium. I think fans like the stadium. Uh, it is a. I think people were fearful that the Metrodome uh, or you know the 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 how loud it was and the home field edge would be lost, but. You have a better angle on it than I do as a former player, knowing what it's like playing in front of a crowd like that. But from just watching in the building, it doesn't seem like that edge is gone. I mean, it's still a loud building, and it's a beautiful building. I'm sure the players love uh, that locker room yeah. compared to what they had, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything about it, the the players love it. I think the fans love it. I'm sure there's always things to nitpick, but as far as what the Metrodome didn't have, wide concourses, you know, <laughs> enough bathrooms, get rid of the troughs in the men's room, you know, so those sort of things I think the fans are really excited about. And then the venue itself is just, it's state-of-the-art. Uh, I think it's going to look fresh. It's not going to be dated. You know, in the next 20, 30 years, it's not going to look like an outdated building. Uh, they did a tremendous job, job with all that glass or whatever you want to call it, ETFE uh, on the roof. It is everything that I think it looked like is going to be on paper and has really transformed um, the Metrodome feel and the energy back into the building. Uh, I think the Vikings won, a, won an award last year. I don't even know what it's called, but it was basically for the best pre-production before a game. Um, those guys really put a lot of effort and time into building an energy before the game. It's not like you're buying a ticket and you just show up 30 minutes before the game and, okay, the energy of the kickoff and everything is going to get me excited. No, there's enough things going, going on with the DJs and stuff like that that it's a, it's a, it's a whole experience to be there at game day. And that really, I think, pops on TV with the skull chant and just with the, the crowd noise. Um, so it is a it is a fun, fun experience uh, to be at USB. That's Ben Lieber and Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.